welcome to Beckett Talks, the podcast series from Leeds Beckett University. In these podcasts, we will be showcasing our diverse community of students and academics, touching on the important themes that surround universities today. On Beckett Talks today, we welcome Dr. Steve Taylor. Steve is a senior lecturer in psychology at Leeds Beckett University and the author of several best-selling books on psychology and spirituality. His latest book is called Extraordinary Awakenings, and some of his other books include The Clear Light, Out of the Darkness, Back to Sanity, The Calm Centre, The Leap, and Spiritual Science. His books have been published in 20 languages, while his articles and essays have been published in over 100 academic journals, magazines, and newspapers. He regularly appears in the, ma- in the media in the UK, including BBC Breakfast, BBC World TV, Radio 5 Live and Talk Radio. Hi, Steve. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Gemma. Great to be with you. So obviously there we've, you know, kind of gone into a bit about, about your career and, and um, it's very impressive. And I just thought we could start by kind of talking about how you actually got into psychology in the first place. Uh, I came to it quite late, actually. I originally did literature at university um, when I was like 18. Um, but I had a, a kind of, a, a, I explored a lot of other career avenues. I was a, I was a musician for quite a long time. But when um, my musical career ended up not being particularly successful, so I decided to look elsewhere for a, a career or an avenue. And I'd always been interested in psychology. I'd always been interested in philosophy, psychology and spirituality. So I found out about an area of psychology called transpersonal psychology, which is kind of like spiritual psychology, you know, the investigation of um, spiritual experiences and spiritual traditions like Buddhism or Taoism from a psychological point of view. And I realised that was exactly what I was interested in. So I went back to university to do a master's degree, which led to a PhD and you know, ever since then, I've been exploring uh, the relationship between psychology and spirituality. So what what was it that made you kind of want to get into teaching around psychology? Well, I'd, I'd always enjoy teaching. When I lived abroad as a musician, I lived in Germany for a few years, sort of made a, a secondary living as an English teacher. English is a foreign language. I always I love teaching. I love, I love sort of being in front of um, uh, groups of students and teaching them. And I always find it really enjoyable. And I've always sort of try to make lessons entertaining and, and lively so you know I, partly I, I wanted to get involved in psychology so that I could do that so that I could be a, a university lecturer and sort of carry my teaching skills into into that arena. If I was kind of wanting to study your course like what what exactly do you cover across that? We cover um, a lot of different areas really we look at not just psychology, but all of the areas which um, are connected to psychology, for example, philosophy, spirituality, uh, anthropology, politics. So we explore psychology from a kind of quite a wide range. And uh, I guess our, our point of view is that you can't really take psychology out of all of these areas and you can't separate it. You know, it, it, do, it has, psychology is always connected to philosophy and anthropology and spirituality. So we explore all these all of these connections probably with a special emphasis on, um, you know, alternative perspectives on psychology and, and spiritual perspectives. So we look into areas like mindfulness, meditation, and and, and um, spiritual traditions like Buddhism and Taoism and so forth. And I imagine that um, maybe this is the first time that, you know, a, a student age, you might be coming across some of these um, practices. So how have you found that um, students respond to these different 
teachings? Really well. I mean, we get quite a few mature students who, you know, who are already familiar with these areas. So and then they come to the course specifically because they want to study these areas from an academic perspective. But we also get yeah, a lot of uh, quite a few 18 year olds who, you know, don't know too much about these areas, but they they almost always respond really well because um, what, what I've learned about 18 year olds is that they're very open minded. You know, they they, they haven't really got a sort of, uh, you know, fixed beliefs and fixed ideas. So they're still sort of formulating what they want to believe about the world or their view of reality. So, yeah, they respond really well because because they're so open minded. That's great. Do you feel like there's like a generational thing then with that open mindedness? Uh, I think generally people tend to become less open minded as they get older because they get, you know, their concepts get fixed in their minds, their beliefs get fixed. So they're, they're less open to new beliefs, you know. So I think there's a certain stage probably when people are teenagers into their into their 20s, when people are at their, at their peak of open mindedness. I mean, that's not to say that some older people aren't, aren't open minded. I hope I am still open minded. But I think generally there's a trend to become less open-minded. Yeah. Um, so just to finish off about teaching, uh, what would you say kind of your favourite part is about teaching? Or has there been any kind of standout moments that you can sort of recount that have happened while you've been teaching? Well, I, I love making my lessons um, kind of varied because I, I, I did a lot of teaching qualifications when I was a, like an ESOL teacher. And I actually trained as a, a college tutor as well. I used to teach in a further education college for, to like um, adults and sixth formers. So I learned a lot of strategies and I've always sort of um, been aware of the importance of having varied techniques and being entertaining and just just create, creating a sort of a dynamic atmosphere. So I, like, I love to create sort of group activities to create a good relationship amongst the students and to, to build a good atmosphere. So I basically try to avoid the kind of standard lecture style when you just read, you know, pre-written, well, maybe not a script, but kind of you have a kind of pre-written idea, pre-prescribed idea of what you want to teach and you run through it very strictly. I try to avoid that and, you know, try to um, make the lessons lively and entertaining. I'm sure, you know, students will enjoy that aspect of it as well. Can we delve a little bit further into some of these um, practices? So consciousness obviously it's a word you know that we hear but is there a way to define consciousness is, is that something you can do to a degree it's quite tricky to define and a lot of people have different definitions but essentially it refers to the experience inside your your mind you know your thoughts and perceptions and sensations and anything basically that goes through your 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 mind so people sometimes talk about a stream of consciousness, which means, you know, kind of a stream of experience, including thoughts, memories, um, daydreams, and also perceptions of taste or smell. So it's all sort of running through our minds. But there's also, it's important to remember that we have a kind of an awareness as well. We, we are always aware of our experience. There's always a part of us which kind of watches the stream of consciousness. So mainly it includes those two areas, the, the stream of experience, and also the awareness of that experience. So it's something that will impact our daily lives? Oh, it does, yeah. I mean, as long as you're awake, um, you are conscious. And even if you're asleep, you're still partly conscious because you may be having dreams or you're still responding to, to noises around you. 
so yeah, consciousness, it's what you, you, you can't live without consciousness. It may kind of like become less intense sometimes if you're, maybe if you're watching TV, you become less aware of your surroundings and the, the stream of experience in your mind becomes kind of quite, <clears throat> quite um, um, kind of less intense. But you, yeah, you're always conscious. Every moment of the day, you are conscious. So how has kind of consciousness influenced your work and, you know, how have you used, how have you used it, I guess, in your work? I've always been interested in the, in the fact that consciousness varies. And, you know, there are lots of different kinds of consciousness, lots of different modes of consciousness, if you like. And I've always been interested in the fact that consciousness can become more intense in certain situations. So, for, for example, a good example is if you go, if you go on holiday, everything seems a bit more real and a bit more exciting and a bit more beautiful because it's unfamiliar. So you, your, your consciousness is becoming more intense. And um, I've done re some research with people who've had encounters with, with death, you know, people who've had accidents, uh, where they've sort of had a brush with mortality, people who've become seriously ill. And in those situations, consciousness becomes more intense as well. So people's perceptions become fresher, more vivid, and everything seems to take on an, an extra dimension of reality. So that's, that suggests that our, our normal consciousness is actually quite limited. You know, that our normal kind of perception of the world around us is a bit mundane and is very familiarised. <clears throat> but, um, but, but in certain situations, we wake up and we become more conscious. So I've always been interested in those moments when we become more conscious. And, you know, I've tried to investigate situations, the, the kind of situations which give rise to a more intense consciousness. And if we can generate those states of higher consciousness ourselves. That was going to be my next question. Are there ways we can be more conscious, I guess? If definitely. That's yeah, definitely. That's one of the aims of meditation, to make yourself more conscious. One of the aims of meditation is to um, quieten the thought chatter in your mind, this kind of quieten the, the stream of associations in your mind. And as, as your mind becomes quieter and emptier, then you pay more attention to your surroundings and your surroundings become more real. And you feel a sense of clarity and well-being. So meditation is probably the most popular technique of intensifying consciousness. But it can also happen through exercise. You know, it sometimes happens when you're when we're running in a park or swimming in a lake or in in the sea. Uh, contact with nature in general is a, is a good way of intensifying consciousness, because again, it seems to sort of um, pacify our minds and make us calmer and more relaxed. And when that happens, our perceptions become more real and the things around us seem more beautiful. And we also feel a sense of connection to the things around us, too. You know, in some strange way, we we almost sort of our consciousness seems to spread outside and to connect with the, the phenomena around us. That's really beautiful, isn't it? So some of the things that you mentioned there about um, being more conscious, they sort of tie in with like, looking after your well-being as well don't they such as you were saying about nature and just appreciating your surroundings and things so do you see those two kind of working alongside each other you know to, to improve your well-being I guess definitely yeah I think I think when we are in a state of well-being our consciousness does become more intense uh, so they're definitely connected but and when we feel a sense of unease or a sense of psychological discord you know if you feel frustrated or depressed or bored then your consciousness becomes less intense. So it's definitely connected. 
Yeah, I mean, I mean that, that's one of the great things about meditation is because it, it engenders a sense of well-being. And at the same time, it makes your consciousness more intense. So there's kind of like a, a dual effect. If you were to kind of give some simple tips about well-being or consciousness, like what, what would you say, especially in the climate that we've been in, you know, and uh, continue to be in, I guess. Um, could you give any tips for that? Yeah, I mean, we we just mentioned nature, and I think contact with nature is a great way of both bringing well-being and intensifying your consciousness. I mean, human beings, we we spent how long have we been on this planet? Maybe two hundred million years in sort of some different forms, and we've always lived, you know, very very close to nature in nature, and it's only really in the past maybe one hundred and fifty years, maybe two hundred years, that large numbers of human beings have begin to live begun to live in separation from nature in cities and and towns in artificial man-made environments but because we've always lived in nature it it has a you know a a tremendous feeling of kind of at homeness you could say we feel really at home in nature we feel we feel naturally connected to nature so when you spend time in nature even if it's just in your garden or in the park or even better walking in the countryside or along a coast or swimming in the sea then you feel this tremendous sense of connection and at homeness. It may take a while to manifest itself, but it it always uh, does arise. And that's even been recognised in in therapy now. There's a there's a field of therapy called ecotherapy, which is based on the principle that contact with nature can bring well-being, and it's been very well uh, backed up by by research. Research has shown that ecotherapy is even more effective. Uh, or just as effective as as medication or other kinds of therapy like CBT. So I think it's going to become much more popular over the next few, few years. That's really positive, isn't it? I know people talk about pets and things like that really helping them, like pet therapy or maybe not an official term, but, um, you know. Yeah, it's a similar thing. Yeah, contact with animals. I mean, obviously, that's a form of contact with nature. And that's really helpful. I think there have even been studies where people have been given plants to look after and that's been beneficial. And and gardening, gardening is one of the most uh, positive activities you can engage in. There are a lot of studies showing that people who do more than five hours gardening per week have significantly higher levels of well-being. And I guess that's because, you know, with gardening, you get the feeling of contact with nature, but you also get a feeling of achievement and there's a sense of purpose as well so it brings you know it, it brings a lot of different sources of well-being leeds school of social sciences engages with diverse voices through learning and research uncovering solutions that change people's lives for the better our strong commitment to research-led teaching develops our students as critical and creative individuals we address key issues of public concern and aim to make a difference in the lives of people and communities, creating opportunities for students to actively contribute to society. So, whether you're starting out on your educational journey or wishing to progress professionally, discover more about our courses at leedsbeckett.ac.uk forward slash LSSS. So, another area that you kind of um, focus on as well is spirituality. So. On your website, it does mention spiritual awakenings, which, you know, maybe we've heard in kind of like popular culture. And so how would you define 
what a spiritual awakening is and how it can impact our life. It relates to the things we've talked about already, uh, like the, the idea of intensifying awareness. <clears throat> so I would say that a spiritual awakening or spiritual development is a process in which your your awareness becomes more intense and it, it expands. So your awareness becomes more intense in a number of different areas. It becomes more intense in a in a perceptual sense because the world around you becomes more real, more more beautiful, more interesting. You feel like you're living in a you know a different dimension in relation to the the physical world around you. But also your awareness becomes becomes more intense in the sense that you feel more connected to other people, more connected to nature. So there's a feeling of connection as well. And also a feeling of connection with a deeper part of your own being as well. So your your awareness expands in the sense that you feel somehow that you're living from a deeper place. You feel that somehow there is more inside you than you suspected previously. And also you gain a a kind of wider perspective on reality as well, a wider perspective on the world. So you, you kind of move beyond a sense of group identity or a, se a sense of national identity and have a more kind of global perspective. So your personal issues are no longer sig as significant because you have a more, you know, a wider focus. So spiritual awakening is really a shift into that wider awareness. And it can it can happen suddenly. Um, or it can happen gradually. I think when, when people follow spiritual paths or when people meditate every day or they become Buddhists or they follow uh, another path such as Taoism or Sufism and so forth, they're, they're moving gradually towards spiritual awakening, you know, over weeks and months and years. But it can happen very suddenly. And and I've um, I've done a lot of research. Probably the main area of my research has been on people who've undergone sudden spiritual awakenings in the midst of intense turmoil in their lives. So, for example, I've got a new book out called Extraordinary Awakenings, and that's based on the research I've done with people who've gone through very traumatic experiences such as bereavement or addiction or a diagnosis with cancer, also imprisonment and also combat, military combat. And in the midst of these intensely traumatic situations, they've undergone a sudden shift. Um, they've sort of shifted into a, a higher mode of awareness or a higher state of consciousness. And that has become their normal state. It's not faded away. It's become their normal state of being. So that's that's a really fascinating area. Yeah, it sounds really fascinating. Um, why does that happen to some people then and not others? Like if you know is it is it the circumstances that they're in you think that make the massive impact on on that yeah that's it's a, it's a tricky question because we all go through traumatic experiences at some point in our lives it's just part of human life that you know that we, it involves suffering at some point or other but yeah not not everybody goes through this this transformation in fact it's probably not that common um so yeah it's it's difficult to say why some people experience it and others don't Maybe people who are more open of a more kind of open personality, people who are more curious and explorative, they seem to be more uh, open to the experience. And, and it also depends on your attitude as well. People who, you know, are prepared to acknowledge their predicament rather than divert themselves from it. And people who are, who are prepared to accept their predicament, no matter how difficult it is, 
they seem to be more likely to experience the, the transformation. I think it's really interesting because, like you say, you know, we all have our own problems and we're all kind of invested in those. So to be able to sort of have that kind of outer perspective that you mentioned, I imagine would be quite like a relief sometimes just to have that break from your own issues, maybe. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's, it's very interesting, very interesting because people, you know, they almost feel as though they're different people living in the same body because their perspective is so different and they, they still live in the same situation and it's not as though they are kind of deceiving themselves deceiving themselves or dissociating themselves because they're very closely connected to reality more so than before but it's just that um they have a kind of a deep sense of well-being which means that things don't affect them to the same degree so they, they still have issues in their lives but they don't you know impact them as much as before and they they have this kind of like this ground level sense of well-being which goes through every situation, which means that they're not kind of destabilized as much as they were before. Sounds really, really interesting practice. So you actually run a course from your book, uh, The Calm Center, online. And I just wondered really if, you know, is there any really positive stories that you can remember that, you know, of people that have maybe taken part in the course and then put what they've learned into practice yeah yeah quite a few stories people sent people sometimes send me emails after the course to say how much it's impacted them and what one typical sort of one typical comment is that people say that it's allowed them to get outside their own minds and to sort of get outside their own thoughts it's made them realize how much their their unhappiness or how much their state of mind is determined by their thoughts you know because our thoughts often determine our mood. You know, if you think a negative thought, then you'll be in a negative state of being. If you think a positive thought, then you're in a more positive state of mind. People often say to me that they've managed to get access to that state of mind, which is beyond thought, you know, where their niggling worries have faded away. And, you know, they've, they've gained a sense of clarity and a sense of simplicity. Because normally when, when our minds are busy with, when our minds are filled with niggling thoughts, we get this sense of slight confusion a feeling that something's not quite right a feeling that you need to do something but you're not really sure what it is but when you stop thinking then life becomes really simple and really clear and also the world around you seems like a more beautiful place so the course is really designed to to put people into that state of mind and a lot of people say that they've managed to get into that state of mind through doing the course I mean it sounds so simple doesn't it being able to turn your thoughts off (laughs) Um, I'm sure we'd all <laughs> love to be able to do that instantly. And, you know, you have talked there about how kind of spirituality can change you as a person. Is there anything simple that people could do just as a as a daily act just to maybe improve on that? Um, you know, like you say, like blocking some of the noise out and some of the thoughts. It's a very good um, practice to to be aware of your body. Because when you're aware of your body, it takes you out of your mind. I think that's one reason why people love to play sport or love to go running. Because, you know, when you're when you become more aware of your body, when your body becomes more active, then your mind begins to become inactive. So, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of you. I do yoga and yoga is a great way of quieting the mind. Um, also running and swimming are great ways of quieting the mind. But on a more on a kind of more simple basis, it works to, to simply give your attention, give your attention to your body. So if you feel like your mind is is filled with niggling worries, 
if you feel stressed out then just bring your attention down into your body so bring your attention down to your feet and just be aware of your feet and move your feet around and being aware be aware of the sensation and then just bring your attention slowly up to your knees and up to your waist and so gently give your attention to the whole of your body every different area of your body and if you can do that for a few minutes then your mind will naturally slow down and you'll feel more connected to your body and you'll feel a greater sense of well-being it's, it's really a, it's really a simple mindfulness meditation exercise but mindfulness works really well because you know it just provides focus for the mind usually on the body and as i say once you become more aware of your body then your mind becomes more more inactive i think sometimes those kind of simple tasks are you know resonate with people a, a bit more don't they you know in in some circumstances um yeah. you mentioned mindfulness there kind of a term that we maybe hear often but don't really know how to define would you be able to define it yeah Actually, I actually defined it with my students earlier this week, you know, well, last week, actually, in a lecture on mindfulness. Um, it, re- it really just means giving full attention to your experience. So a, a good example is eating your breakfast. Normally, when we eat our breakfast, we're not mindful. You know, we're in a, maybe in a rush or maybe feeling tired. So we kind of automatically eat the breakfast without paying attention to, to the food. But if you if you ate your breakfast mindfully, you'd be aware of the t- taste of the cornflakes or the milk you'd be aware of the sensation of swallowing as the food moves to the back of your throat you'd also be aware of your surroundings you'd be looking around you looking out the window at the garden looking at the sky so you know rather than being in your mind caught up in thoughts and rather being immersed in activities or distractions like checking your email or reading the newspaper you give your full attention to your experience I know you can do that when you're walking, you know, just pay attention to your surroundings, just look around you rather than being um, caught up in thoughts and also pay attention to the the sensation of walking, the experience of how your feet touch the ground and so on. I think I'm probably more mindful than I thought I was. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Yeah, Yeah, so I guess that leads nicely to kind of this idea of it's a new year, new me you know everyone says those kind of things a lot of the time um how do you kind of feel about this sort of idea of new beginnings every year um that people might take on or might kind of think they need to change themselves um you know kind of re-evaluation of of our lives i think it's helpful because um you know most of our lives consist of routines and familiar experiences so it's easy to get into a rut it's easy to become overcome by inertia and it's easy to forget the reality of your life it's easy to forget the things that you should be grateful for the things you should appreciate in your life so when you have a marker like a new year it's a it's a spur to to reevaluate your life and to reflect and decide whether you want to change anything so that's really helpful. It's it's like sort of, it's like if you're on a journey, you're walking up a mountain, say, and you get to a certain point and you decide to have a break and look around and check you're going in the right direction and you maybe have a break to, to eat something. But, you know, it's just a marker that you can use to, to survey your surroundings and to check you're going in the right direction. You know, in the midst of reevaluating your life, 
you can you can look at things that you you should appreciate you know things that you normally forget because you take them for granted so you know the, like for example the people in your life you the people you have relationships with in your family or your partner or your friends it's easy to take people for granted but if you stop to reevaluate your life then you you can gain a sense of how valuable the people are and the, the same with life itself you know we, we forget that life is temporary it's fragile and therefore it's precious but we forget that it's you know, it's a gift to be alive in the world, no matter how difficult life can be, as it obviously can be sometimes, a lot of the time even. Mm. But it's it's still a privilege. It's a gift to be alive, you know. So you need to to step back sometimes and just to reevaluate your life. You reevaluate your life to to appreciate these things again. You were saying about you know having a sense of perspective and also that time, especially over the last maybe year and <laughs> year and a bit, time feels like it's taken away from you and maybe people are kind of feeling like they've missed out on a lot of things and um I know you kind of do a lot about kind of time perception can you talk a bit more about that yeah that's one of my interests and again it's connected to you know the concept of intense consciousness because or, or just different states of consciousness because time isn't fixed it's actually very plastic and it varies according to different states of consciousness so I've always been interested in the way that time seems to speed up in certain situations or seems to slow down in certain situations. So I always say to people, you know, if you if you want time to pass more slowly, if you want to stop feeling like your life is disappearing and every year is speeding up, then um, bring some new experience into your life. You know, learn some new hobbies, go to some new places, new people. You need to disrupt your, your routine and you need to take yourself out of the, your familiar environment. But also, you know, meditation is great too, or any kind of mindfulness meditation is great because that kind of de-automatizes your mind. It makes your mind less cluttered with ideas and concepts and thoughts. And that that brings in more new, new experience too. It makes you more alert to the world around you. So you take in more perceptions. So all of that is a way of slowing down time, you know. So, so we don't have to feel that time is getting faster every year. It depends largely on how we, you know, what we do with our lives. I think that's all the time we have today but thank you so much for joining us Steve and thank you for providing some great insights for the new year and you're I welcome hope you'll come back on back Beckett Talks again <laughs> yeah yeah I'll be glad to yeah thanks um, Gemma that was great all right thank you very much cheers all the best the Beckett Talk podcasts are released every Tuesday so don't forget to check our social media channels on Instagram, Twitter or Facebook to find out more details on our next episode. See you next week.